Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending your son. Lord, I thank you for the power of the gospel. I thank you for the authority of scripture. And in Jesus' name, Lord, may your name be established. May your truth pierce hearts today. Your words, Lord, not mine. It's your word. It's your living word. And that holds all authority. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 6 talks about a fire. I'll quickly read it to you. It says, And the fire on the altar, it's 6 verse 12 to 13, Andrew. The fire on the altar should be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. The wood now is the word of God. The spoken, the revealed, already word of God, and the, and the actual when he speaks into your life personally. And he says, A fire shall always be burning on the altar it shall never go out. And we know in the Old Testament, the natural and the New Testament, the spirit. There's a fire that it comes and, and is birthed in people's hearts. And what I've seen all my Christian life, actually all my life because I grew up in the church, is people get set on fire by the Lord and it lasts a few years maybe and then it goes out and they just kind of spend their life dying out in the church. And I've just said, God, you know, they, what I see in Scripture, what I see in the Word is the fire must never go out. And it doesn't mean that we're always full of, you know, zeal without knowledge bouncing off the walls. Is There's a maturity that comes, there's a stillness that comes, there's a calmness that comes, but the fire inside is burning and it's burning hot. Even though there's a stillness and a calmness, there's an authority that can come upon a person or a group of people that when you look at them from a distance, but when you speak to them, something's very different in that person's life. And that comes from the fire of God in a person's heart. And the Bible teaches us that, because now we are the temple. Yeah, and I went over this the last couple of weeks, but we are the temple. It used to be a tent and a building, and now us. And he lives best in us because he designed us. But it's, he designed us in his image. But that fire changes everything. And I'm speaking about how do you tend that fire, because the Bible said it mustn't go out, and no one else can tend that fire for you. And how do you tend that fire year after year after year? And so we've been looking at some very practical ways to keep the fire of God in your heart, to keep in love with the Lord. And some of them are so practical and so small, but we cannot ignore them. And uh, so we've been looking at that. He says, put the wood on in the morning. That doesn't mean that you have to read the Bible in the morning. We don't want to get legalistic, but we need to tend that fire. So first thing we spoke about two weeks ago was revelation. You absolutely need to get revelation. Jesus, one of the primary things Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples is how to acquire revelation. That's illumination of what he has already said. It comes alive to you. My dad used to speak about it like this. It's like in the old days when they used to take that big flash camera, that image was burnt onto that negative, and it was burnt and you could never remove the two. That's what revelation does to your heart. It's like it burns something. It burns a truth into your heart that no man can ever take. And you just know, you know that you know, like you know, like you know. That's how you know. That's the truth. That's truth. That's truth. And you cannot be, you won't waver on that truth anymore because it's come by revelation. And in Matthew 16, when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, he says, who do men say that I am? Who do, I, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, 
Heaven and, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so there's this truth that comes that is supernatural in origin, and it comes alive to us, and something is burned into our hearts, burned into our lives. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we live. It affects the way we pray. It affects everything about us. It affects our relationships. It affects everything. And we need ongoing revelation. Ongoing. And every single revelation you have, Galatians 2, in the NIV version, if you have that, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'm just kidding. This is great. It's fine. But the NIV version says, uh, in Galatians 2, he says, later on, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. He says, uh, speaking about Paul, he says, I went in a response to a revelation. Every time you get a revelation, it requires a response from you. Otherwise, it just remains knowledge, and knowledge puffs up and does nothing to change your heart. So when a revelation comes, it requires a response. So I, I don't want to re-preach that sermon. And then we went over, um, after Revelation, we went over relationships, which I'll, I'll go over a little bit today as well. But the reason being is this. If you can go to Luke 6, this is what we're talking about. How do you build well? Because the storms of life will come. And anyone who's over five years old will know that. Luke 6, verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. So that everything that comes before that is the context of what he's talking about, which we're going to get into today. But it has to do with hearing and doing. He says, and anyone who hears and does, let me show you what that person is like. He says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep, and laid the foundation on the rock. And so we've been speaking about how do you dig deep? Because at every time, at a, at, at a time in a person's life, there will come a time where you cannot live with the revelation that your mom or dad had. You cannot live with the revelation of your pastor. You, cannot, you have to get revelation for yourself. You have to build your own foundation. You have to strengthen yourself. You have to go into a place that you've dug deep, that no one can dig for you, and it has to be laid down on the bedrock. And it goes past what people have told you. It goes past you know, the faith that you, in a sense, raised with, with your mom and dad. And it comes from the Word, and you dig, and you dig, and you dig, and it lays down a foundation for you that no man can touch. And as I said before, in that deep place with God, we've really had to dig. In that place, God meets man, and man meets God. Who's, who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. That requires a skill to dig and to dig and to dig. And the Bible, the context of this chapter, let's just read it. He says, He who dug deep and laid the foundation of, on the rock, which is Christ, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. The purpose of this story that Jesus is telling is that we dig deep and build strong before the storm comes. Many people start to dig when a crisis arises and it's a little too late and then things don't go well and then they get offended and blame God, but he's given us all we need for life and godliness. Amen? So we want to learn to dig deep and to build strong because are the storms coming? Yes. They absolutely are. We don't have faith in the negative, or I'm not, but they will come, friends. It's, I, I've spoken about it, the whens and ifs of Scripture. If you sin, but when you pray, when you fast, and when the storms come, they're coming. 
And how you see and how you perceive things will dictate how you deal with that storm and how you deal with these things. And we need to be founded on the rock. And so some of the, what we've been speaking about is you have to get revelation for yourself. For yourself. It cannot be anyone else that can dig deep inside your heart for you. Not your spouse, not your parents, no one. You have to. It comes inside of a person. And it puts a fire into your heart. And then we spoke, secondly, relationships. If you go back to Luke 6, go back a few verses to verse 27. Jesus ends speaking about building on the rock, but he spends most of that from verse 27 to verse 45. He speaks about people. Why? Because one of the things that I've seen put the fire of God out in people is other people. It would be very easy to tend that fire and to just stay in love with the Lord if we just kind of went to a cave and, Jesus, Jesus, I worship you, you're wonderful. But, you know, you have to live real life. And in real life, there's other people. And other people, man, some of them are crazy. They are. You know, you just look around, you're like, you know, I just, you know, and I hear many people say, I just don't like people. But friends, that's why you saved, and that's why you're here. So, you know, I hope you've got to learn to love them. So, I wrote you, actually, let me read it. Let's go to Luke 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you do also likewise to them. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Verse 32, Andrew. Sorry, thank you. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who lend from you... Lend to those from whom you hope to receive back what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Now, unfortunately, I'm still recapping from last week. I spoke last week about becoming love, and I wish I could preach that multiple times over, and I don't have the time to recap it, but it's very important to understand where we're going. I believe, and I'll just read some of these things just so we can get through them. I believe with all my heart that we were created to become something. We were created to become love. And when you were created, you were born in the sin of Adam. When you're born in the sin of Adam, what begins to take place is you're raised with emotions that are not even yours. And I've been speaking a lot about this, and I don't have time to get into it. But when you get saved, something changes. When you get saved, you become who God actually created you to be. That's who God knew before the creation of the world, was that person. And he saved you, and he, when he redeems you, when that happens, you become a new person, a new creation, with a new mind, with a new heart. And that's actually who you are. And then you are called to become something, and to be transformed into the image of his son. Because in the garden, what was lost was the image of God. And you're called to be transformed into something. So I wrote you, the last thing you want to do is pray a prayer to go to heaven. The gospel is not about surviving. I've seen so many with the mindset, I'm just going to survive till Jesus comes. Friends, it's not about God taking care of us even. Because when that's the point, you will only reach out to God when you have your lowest point. And as soon as he takes that issue away, you stop. 
Hello? Very real. I wrote you, you were created to love. And in the beginning, it was the image of God which was lost through sin, and man became in great need of love and acceptance. And all of a sudden, worldly wisdom was born in that moment. And the way that seems right to a man, which leads to death, the way that seems right to a man was born. And that's what the devil said. You will know. You will know good and evil. You will be like God. He was tempting Adam with what he already was like. He already was in the image of God. And he says, you will have wisdom. He was actually tricking him. It was fallen human wisdom than the way that seems right to a man, and it's going to lead to death. And when you get saved, what happens is all of a sudden something wakes up in your heart, and now you're going to be transformed. Redemption actually means bought back and brought back to original value, like before Adam ate the tree. That's what redemption means. So that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the image of his Son. And that requires truth. Truth, 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 truth. So ministry, what they did, ministry is awesome. Ministry comes to remove a blockage in the heart or in the mind that prevents truth from coming. Ministry doesn't set free, truth sets free. Truth keeps you free. Yep. But you're becoming something. You're called to become love. Someone said if your motive is to go to heaven, it's going to be like hell on earth till you go to heaven. That's why so many Christians are so grumpy. They are. Some of them are so grumpy. I'm like, do you know you're saved? Has anyone told you? Some people just need to believe they're saved. It's like, just read about Jesus and you'll be fine. But the Bible says, the Bible says, it's interesting, friends, and God's speaking to me a lot, and we've still got to get to for today but about the salvation of your soul. There's the salvation of your spirit, which is justification. And I know I'm going through this a lot, but I've been talking a lot about this. If we could understand these things, that would, it would do us so well. When you get saved, you're justified. Your spirit is renewed and changed. Your inner man comes alive. You become perfectly holy, righteous, and in that place. But you still have a soul. And that's where your emotions and your mind and your intellect and your will is. And that is not perfect all of a sudden. That's why you get saved, but you still want to do these things. And all of a sudden, there's a war inside of you. Yeah? That's what happens. The Bible, in two places in the New Testament, talks about the salvation of your soul. And that's called sanctification. And everyone thinks sanctification is about becoming better. Well, I better be more sanctified so I become more morally good and I behave better. That's got nothing to do with sanctification. That's the outworking of God transforming you into something. Sanctification. Jesus in John 17 said, Lord, he said, Father, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. What does truth do? Set you free. Sanctification, the process of sanctification is about becoming freer, not behaving better. And when you become freer, freer from people, freer from your, your old nature, freer from the person that actually has died, that was crucified on the cross, you've been crucified with Christ, freer to think according with the renewed mind. When you become free, the result is you will, your behavior will change. But sanctification is to make you freer and freer and freer to be who God has called you to be. That's what it's about. But until you understand what took place on the cross and what took place in the moment you got saved, which is justification and grace and the forgiveness of sin so that you can go to heaven and all those things, but if you just stay there, if you just stay there, you're not becoming something. 
And we're called to become and be transformed into the image of His Son so that we can love. Because you're called to become love. Everything you receive from God, you're called to become in God. I cannot love you if I'm not free from you. Please hear me. Because if everything you do to me affects me and throws me and I get, well, he said and she didn't, you don't understand. How can I love you with the truth of the gospel? How can I love you with God's love if everything you do affects me because I'm not free from you? And in order to be free from you, I have to be free from me. The me that was born in Adam that has to be crucified and killed and dead so I can be free to be who God's called me to be, so I can love and I can reach out with the truth of the gospel. And you don't have to be something so that I'm okay. Hello? Does this make sense to you? The Bible says in Galatians 1, He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from the present evil age. So many people talk about salvation so you can go to heaven. There's a few, also a few scriptures in the Bible in the New Testament that talks about saving, being saved from sins so that you can be rescued from everything that's around you on this earth. And Jesus spoke about it this way, to be in the world but not of it. And the premium thought pattern that we need to learn and understand and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, which is called walking in the Spirit, is to understand that when you get saved, you're no longer born here. You're not from here. You're born again from heaven. And your citizenship is in heaven. So the Bible says, you're seated in Christ in heaven. You're a pilgrim in this earth. The Bible says you're a sojourner, an alien, and a stranger in this earth. Because now all of a sudden you're not from here. And the only thing God's asking you to give up is the person that you were born in sin under Adam. That's what he's asking you to give up. Because that's not who you actually are. And that person is trapped and bound by sin. The other person that you're born again to be is free. Totally free. Because you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're not of it. That's why you can't, cannot go hide in a cave. Say, so, well, I'm just loving the Lord me in the cave. Well, then you're not actually being transformed into something because you're in the world, but you are not of it. So to just hide away, friends, is irrelevant because you're not a, actually going to affect people with the gospel or with the love of God. We're going to have to move on to deal with relationships. Why do I say these things? Because you read this in Luke 6. Love the enemies, do this, don't hit back, let them hit you. You read that and it sounds impossible. You think, Lord, I've never seen anyone live like that. It's because people are trying to fix themselves instead of understanding that they've died. They've died. So you wake up in the morning. The Bible says in Romans 6, reckon yourselves dead to sin. You wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm dead. That's it. But who I am in Christ, that's a whole different person. That I'm alive in Christ, who He's making me, transforming me. Now we're going to do some very practical teaching on how do I keep that fire? How do I tend that fire? Because Jesus continues to speak about people. How do I tend that fire in my heart when it comes to dealing with other people practically? Can we do that? All right. Let's go to verse 32 again. No, let's go to verse 36. Sorry. Therefore be merciful just as your Father in heaven is also merciful. Go to verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them and said, Can the blind lead the blind? Very, very powerful scripture. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? I remember growing up with my father, and I'm going to expose him a little bit. When we would, you know, play sport together or do something, you know when you're standing with your mom or your dad or your friends and you're watching other people, and it was like a saying he had. He would always stand there and look, and he said, it's like the blind leading the blind. When people, 
And I, I just remember over and over he would say that. I was like, yeah, he was right. It says here, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Pause there. What is Jesus saying? I used to read that and be like, Lord, what are you talking about? What he's really saying here is, firstly, if you're a scholar of Scripture, you will know that many commentaries and so forth will actually say he's talking about the Pharisees because the Pharisees didn't know who they were or their purpose, and so they were the blind because they couldn't even see who was standing in front of them, and that was their purpose. Spiritual leaders to point out the Messiah, the Messiah is there and they can't see him. But the principle remains true. If, if you look at those movies, when you have a fighter who trains another fighter, that fighter will not grow beyond their trainer. If they do everything that person says and do, and become, you know, they will become eventually like this person. Do you understand that? That's what Jesus is saying. Why is it so important if leaders in the church worldwide could grasp this verse? Because one of the things that puts a fire out in people is they hang on to other people instead of to the Lord. We have all our spiritual heroes. Well, I love Bill Johnson. Well, I love this guy and I love this guy. There is a season in your life, specifically when you get saved, where God will link hearts to you with a person, a leader of some sort, and he's going to teach you and train you. But do not let that season go too long. Because that guy's job or that lady's job is to take your hand and take Christ's hand and put them together and get out of the way. And if leaders could see this, because otherwise you're their ceiling. Because you will not raise above your teacher. And they become a ceiling to you. And then they do something, and you see them do something, or you see them do some sort of behavior, or they, and it hurts you. You're like, how can you do that? And God will actually do that. God will actually allow you to see something in their life that you're like, oh, why? They're also just human. They're not Jesus. And if leaders, and friends, when I'm right now meeting with a group of young people, the identity class. I don't know how many there are of you, a whole bunch. And they're awesome. But my job is not to be their guru. I'll answer their questions and I'll pray with them and teach them the presence of the Lord and all these things to link them to Christ. And the reason why the fire goes out is because people hang on to people. The mediator is removed. The way has been made open so we can get straight to the Father. Our mediator is Christ. Not a man. Amen? We all say amen. I'm just letting you know Check your heart. Because I've seen so many groups, they come together and they each bring the teaching of their favorite person. And they compare, well, my guy teaches this and your guy teaches that. I'm like, what does Jesus say about that? Verse 41, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Don't you love how plain Jesus was? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your eye. So Jesus turns it around. He's saying, listen, don't hang on to people, but you absolutely need people. You absolutely need people around you. They're not to be your master, they're not to be your teacher, your whatever. They can for a season because we need leadership. I understand that. But to point you to Jesus Christ, but you still need brothers, you still need a family. There is no lone ranger in Christianity. What is Jesus talking about here? 
He's talking about a blind spot. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Blind spots and choices. And all the young people go, here we go again. Blind spots and choices. Friends, you know, it's an amazing thing. Every person has blind spots. Something that you cannot see. Jesus, that's why do I say he's talking about that? He says, why do you look at the speck, but you do not perceive the plank. You don't perceive it. You don't know it's there. You just don't perceive it. It's not a malice heart. You just don't know. So it's like I'm standing here with a two-by-four sticking out of my eye. And I'm like, Dwayne, there's a, little, there's a little thing in your eye. Let me help you. You're a little wrong here. And there's a two-by-four sticking out of my eye. And I see that all over the church. It's very interesting. When it comes to blind spots, let me just be honest. I'm, in my past, I, I'm not, I have not been the best at hearing about my own. Because it's never fun when someone says, hey, what about this? And it, because a blind spot, for some reason, pierces, it hits you right in the heart. And Jen, my dear wife, as you know, I love her very much, she stopped telling me my blind spots because of my reactions were so bad. So she just started leaving him alone. And then I said to her, why don't you, she says, you don't see yourself when I point stuff out. Now obviously there's a way to do it. You know, we can understand that. But we need it. Dwayne, many years ago, I don't know if you probably don't even remember this, but it really, I was about was eight, nine years ago, I'd just been here a little while, called me aside and he said, you know, sometimes when you retell a story or you tell something what happened, you tend to exaggerate a lot. And he said, and it's probably a blind spot. Do you remember this in your lounge? He doesn't know if he does. And he says, and the integrity of your word is going to go down. And you just need to be careful. And I reacted at him. But it stuck here because it was true. It's never fun, but we all need it. And he was actually trying to love me, and I wanted to punch him. <laughs> but it's America, and he's a lawyer, so that's a very bad idea. <laughs> but the context, friends, the context here is brother. He says, a brother. It's not a person with a gift of discernment. I'm the blind spot fixer. You get those people. I'm the blind spot fixer. That's your blind spot. That's your issue. That's your issue. And he's not a brother to any single one of them. It has to be invited. And let me just say this. If you're in this church, there's a standing invitation to the leadership. And if you don't believe that, you shouldn't be here. I love you, but that's biblical. It has to be invited. Because we all have them. You know, every single car, you know when they teach you to drive, there's a blind spot, right? So they teach you you have to look behind. Isn't it crazy that a two-ton piece of metal, you just can't see it right next to you. Can't see it. So now they have this little piece of thing in their side mirror, right? This new thing that's like at a different angle, so you don't have to do this. You can look there and you can see it. You guys know what I'm talking about? What's interesting is that's not part of the car's features. When they list the car's features at the dealership. It's not V8, this, that, blind spot checker. It, it, you don't even know until you're in the car. Yet that stupid little piece of glass can prevent a major, major collision. And I just want, 
I'm asking you, do you have that little glass in your life? Because sometimes it's a very small thing. And it's got nothing to do with your engine, which is your prayer life. You can have a massive prayer life. You can know the Word. You can have a V8 in God. But if you don't have a blind spot checker, they can all be wrecked over a small thing. It's true. It's true. And it's not advertised. And it's actually very easily fixed. It has to be invited, friends. How people around you have people around you that can help with your blind spots. When you begin to see the gospel, the real gospel, the Bible says, now that I'm saved, I no longer live for myself. For I am dead in Christ. When you begin to see the gospel, you will desire those people. Because you wouldn't want anything in your life that prevents people from hearing the gospel because they see something massive sticking out of your heart. And you know why people sometimes don't? We all know the people that Everyone knows there's an issue, but no one wants to tell him. Why? Why is that? Because there's going to be such a reaction, and it's not worth it. And I'm just, I'm encouraging you. This is not a beating. This is an encouragement. For to tend to fire in your own heart, be approachable. You, you have a blind spot. We all do. I do. I have people around me that will let me know. When Francois was here, you can ask the guys. He let me know some in front of them. And it wasn't fun. But my goodness, how, we have to be able to hear that stuff for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his name. And if there's going to be a massive reaction, no one tells them, and they go through life, and everyone knows the issue, but everyone's too afraid to tell them. And that doesn't mean you're the person to go and tell everyone theirs. Please. It's in the context of a brother. It's a bonded relationship that there's some, you can take weight across that bridge. Hello, you still friends? Great. Why is it so important? Well, let's read on. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. What does a blind spot do to you? It's very interesting. You will see things different. Your perspective will change. Sometimes it's like a cracked lens. We all know that. When you're looking at a situation, you can have situations, crisis, tragedy, all sorts of things happening in your life, and you have a certain view on it, Maybe your view is wrong. Because the Bible says that until you remove the plank, you cannot actually see clearly. So your whole perspective on what's going on is actually wrong. And perspective leads you to make choices. We make choices out of our perspective in life. Hello? Now, I want to speak very briefly about choices. There's an arbitrary scripture in Acts 15 and I'll give you the verse in a moment we have to give this some background. In the Old Testament there was a number of ways that people that the Jewish, the people of God made decisions how do I make a decision? Well way back in the desert they had something called the Urim and the Thummim which is uh, these little things that a priest had in his breastplate Moses never used one it's interesting because he had such a close relationship with the Lord he just asked the Lord 
But Aaron would have these things in his, not this Aaron, he's not that old. But Aaron would have these things, in, excuse me, in his breastplate. And there's lots of speculation about what they were and how they worked. And I don't want to get into that. But there was in a similar way of casting lots. People would come and have this big decision, I don't know what to do, so they had this process. Then and later on it went in, and then they had, um, people would cast lots. It was the only actually form of divination. And divination is a bad word, I understand that, but it was actually in the commentaries, it was a form of divination that was allowed in the Old Testament. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come, and the way hadn't been opened for people to have a personal relationship and hear the voice of the Lord and make a decision out of that. So they would cast lots. They casted lots up until... Jesus, up until the Holy Spirit came, even after Jesus' death, they were casting lots to decide the last disciple, and then the Holy Spirit came, and you never see them do it again. That's the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they had the law, obviously the law of Moses, that made most of the decisions, if this happens, do this. And then they had the prophets, the kings, how do I make decisions? So there's all these ways that these people would make choices. Then, Jesus comes and ruins it all in the best sort of way. Why? Because he removes everything. He removes it all out of the way and says, now I want a relationship with you and you're going to have a relationship with me and I have to go so that I can send the Spirit. So all these people start getting saved and all the Greeks that were getting saved, the Gentiles that were getting saved, they're not Jewish, they don't care about the law, they don't care about anything. So they would just keep doing what they're doing and the council in Jerusalem in the early church was saying, how are we going to help these people make decisions? They don't have our background. And we can't give them all these old ways because those ways are no longer relevant. So what do we do? How did they make decisions? Prayer, worship, and fasting. And there's the scripture in Acts 15 when they write a letter, a, letter, a letter from the council to send out to all the churches. And it simply says this. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do these things. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. My question to you, to tend the fire in your own heart before you face a storm, because you will face them, do you have a Holy Spirit and do you have an us? I see many people make life choices. They've never got counsel. Personally, I would never move a house. I would never make choices, at least until I fasted. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm trying to help. Or do I have an us? It's very rare in your life that everyone that you've surrounded yourself with is saying no and you say yes. It's very rare. It will happen, it happened to me. When I moved to this country, the Lord came and told me, I want you to move to the United States. There was an 18-month process of me working that out. I had five guys, five men, that were on this like what we call the apostolic team, what my parents are on now. They were like my spiritual, like they taught me everything. They all came to me and said, if you move, you're wrong. You haven't heard God. Five of them. But I knew I had. And I know the Lord did that to test, is it real? And then supernatural things happened and amazing things happened. And I, it was all impossible. It was amazing. I don't have time to go into it. And the circumstances proved it was the Lord. Friends, that's a once or twice in a life thing. And I've seen so many people, what God told me, like everyone's saying no, you say the trump card, God told me I can do what I want. Very dangerous. Because we have people come for counsel, they've already made the decision before they've got there. 
They're just wanting you to say, yeah, sure. And then you say, I don't think that's a wise idea. And then you see what's inside. These are basic truths, friend. Basic. Jesus taught on all the stuff in the context of build well for the long term. Build well for the long term. Basic little things. The little foxes that spoil the vineyard. Just make sure you're us, that whoever they are, there's a track record behind them. Not just that they're nice people. They hear the Lord. Make sure they hear the Lord, and we can go into some of that at another time. They hear God. They love you. They have your best interest at heart, not their selfish gain, and they, get a, they have the same setup from others. But do you have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> there's a way to make decisions. So many, I, I ask people that come, I don't know what to do about this. First question, have you prayed about it? Oh, no. Why are you here? Well, God doesn't speak to me. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. And then we start. John, John 10. My sheep will hear my voice. A stranger's voice they will not follow. Which means there is a stranger that's speaking to you too. And then he says, there are other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's he speaking about? Gentiles. You. He says, they too will hear my voice. God will speak to you every day. And we don't have time to get into how to learn to hear him, but it's you hearing him already. You just don't know it's him. If you want to tend the fire of the Lord in your heart, I just want to encourage you. The rest is so important that I didn't have time to go into, but just let me say it like this. Jesus starts to speak about a tree. Pretty much for me, the most important part of that whole chapter. And he speaks, put up verse, I think it's verse 46. Luke 6, I think it's verse 46. He starts to speak about a tree. I think it's verse 46. Please let it be verse 46. 43? 43, Andrew. Let me read it to you. Can I read it to you? Yes. Thank you. You guys are so wonderful. I'll close with this. He says this. For a good tree, so he speaks about people. He's trying to teach you how to build well for the long term. That's where he's going. He's actually heading to everything about build on the rock, do this. Then he reads all, and he speaks mostly about people, how to deal with people, how to make decisions, how to have people around you. Interesting that he speaks so much about that in terms of dealing with the storms of life. But then he says these few verses, which for me are the most important. He says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad, bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. And he speaks about the tree. We know, we, know the, we know the context. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor that other gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth, and I was going to speak about it. What's he speaking about, friends? Your identity. He's actually speaking about identity. Know your tree the best way I can explain it because we all focus on the fruit we all focus on what comes but it comes from a tree and the Bible says that when you got saved your tree was changed Jesus didn't I wrote this he gave us a major clue here Jesus didn't try to fix a poisonous tree we were made new with a new root system that goes deep into the love of God you were given a brand new tree that's your identity. That's who you are. The old one has died. 
and you're given a brand new tree. And what is the tree called? It's called righteousness. That's why I preach so much about righteousness. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, that they will be known as oaks of righteousness. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. When you know the tree, when you know your identity, when you understand the gospel, when you know what Jesus has done for you, when you know that your old man has died and your new man is alive, when you know those things, that you're being transformed into his image, that you're becoming something, that you don't have to wait for everyone to be okay so you can be okay. When you're actually free, then your tree, you know your tree, your fruit will be good naturally. So everyone climbs on the tree and goes to the fruit and tries to paint the fruit and put water on the fruit. The tree's dying. Some more paint on the fruit. Let's color the fruit in. Let's pump it full of steroids. Maybe the apple will grow a little bit. So we have to go to a conference to change our life so we can have nicer fruit. But the tree's dying. The tree is your belief system. What is the number one attack of the enemy in the church? What you believe. When your belief system is wrong, when you don't understand the gospel, the tree's crooked, the roots are into the wrong stuff, the fruit's not going to be good. And then we beat ourselves up. We think, well, this, you know, I'm just a bad person, I'm this and I'm this. Learn the tree. The fruit will happen all by itself. Through righteousness, I'll read you this and I'll be done. Through righteousness, the Bible says you reign in life, Romans 5. Through righteousness, the Bible says your prayer becomes effective, James 5. Through righteousness, you have access to the Father. Through righteousness, we have an advocate with the Father which gives no room to the enemy. Through righteousness, you can be God-conscious, not sin-conscious. Through righteousness, you have a new husband. Through righteousness, you wear a new robe. Through righteousness, sanctification becomes about being freer, not being better. All comes because you understand the tree. And so we do spiritual warfare, and we do this, and we cry, and we moan, and we pray 17 hours because our fruit is bad, but we don't know how to address the tree. And that's your identity. I wrote you, if you identify yourself as a sinner trying to do right, you will struggle forever. If you identify yourself as a new creation with righteousness of Christ as our robe, our new identifying mark, brought back, brought back, that you have peace with God, you'll find you'll overcome naturally. Because your identification, you become what you identify with. And I, I identify with the death because I died when I got saved. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where my identity is in. And everything he says I am. His thoughts towards me. What he says about me. How he loves me. How he made a way for me. How he paid a price for me. That's where my identity is rooted in that stuff. I love my wife, but I cannot put my identity there. So if you want to tend the fire in your heart, and I know I speak about identity a lot, but it's because it's that important. Because I'm tired of seeing defeated Christians. Not you. You guys are all the best Christians in the whole world, obviously. But I'm just, you walk around, they're grumpy, they're sad. Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me. And yet he said, I'm the firstborn among many sons. He's our prototype. And very few Christians can say, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. 
you would say, please don't look at me if you want to know what God's like. <laughs> and I'm just saying, God, there's got to be more. We each have a fire that's in our heart. If you want to tend that fire ongoingly so that not a year, two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years time, there's a fire of God that burns in your heart. And if your personality is quiet, it'll be quiet, but it'll be burning hot, red, fire, white hot. Get revelation as much as you can. Get revelation. Allow the Word of God to come alive. Know how to deal with people. Understand the gospel. Understand that you're becoming something. Don't let people become your potter. There's one potter, and that's God. As soon as I get mad because he's done something to me, he's pottering me now. Yeah? And you know what? People can only potter something into their own image. You know that? That's why God's the potter, because he's trying to make you into his image. And as soon as I allow people to potter me, they're going to make me the very thing that made me mad. What was the next one? I cannot even remember. Relationships and then identity. Then you will dig deep. And then the waves will come and the storms will beat, but your roots go down into the right stuff. And you're okay. There might be grief if there's a loss in the life, loss of person, loss of finance. When there's loss, you can stand. You're okay. It doesn't wreck your whole world. Every little thing doesn't totally throw you because you're rooted in Christ. Amen. I hope that's practical, helpful. Bless you.